I want to tell you a story uh, while we're going there. It's not a story that I'm proud of. I need, you to, I need you to know something. It's probably something I should have confessed to you um, before I came to be your interim pastor, but here we are. I really didn't think about it until right now. And so if you want me to leave after this is all over with, I won't preach the next service. Uh, good news is that Matt will probably, uh, probably has a sermon in the till that he could preach at the, at the, uh, the 1045 service if necessary. So please, um, I ask for grace. Uh, you know, uh, some people are not as good at offering grace as others, but I would ask that you would show me grace today uh, as I share a very difficult uh, nuance and a part of my character. Allie's like, what are you about to say? Like, what are you going to confess in front of the entire church? Um, I'm afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of the dark. Um, I want to tell you a story that, that goes along with that. Though your, your lack of response means you probably don't care, which I think is, is probably where I wanted to be in this whole thing. I, apathy is much better than you lobbing things at me. Um, I remember when uh, I was, it was 2006, and I was, uh, Allie and I were in seminary in, at North, in North Carolina, and um, I had a buddy of mine offer, uh, it, invite me to go hunting with him. And, uh, and so I never hunted this particular tract of land, and so um, this, uh, my buddy, his name's Kenneth, Kenneth drops me, his dad uh, uh, put, put me on, uh, put me tandem, I rode tandem with a guy on a four-wheeler, um, as, he, uh, as he drove me out to, to the blind, and he says, I'll drop you off, uh, but you're going to need to walk. Out now. Granted, this was 2006, and it was uh, before um, things like GPS on cell phones. I still had a a flip Nokia Razor uh, phone. If you remember a flip, if you remember flip phones back in the day, where you actually had to hit. If you wanted to text, you had to. It's just easier to, to hit seven numbers and call somebody than it was to text back in those days. But it also had no GPS capability. Um, I forgot what that is like. Uh, and so, um, so, and when I was researching this, um, this, unfortunately, when I was researching this sermon series, this story came up in my mind. Um, so, uh, so Kenneth's dad drops me off at the blind and I sit in the blind. I see a few deer to wind up not shooting anything. Uh, and I'm going to walk out. And so, uh, one thing I didn't think about was that at, at one in the afternoon, when Kenneth's dad dropped me off at the blind, the area where we were hunting doesn't look exactly the same once the sun goes down. And so we were in twilight and, and it was almost dark. And I was like, like, well, I just followed the road out. I was like, this is totally easy. So I, I start walking and, and because I am afraid of the dark, I started walking before it got completely dark. Uh, and, um, and so I wanted to make sure that, that whatever boogeyman, Sasquatch, you know, whatever, whatever uh, uh, polar bear was going to get me before I walked out of the woods of, of North Carolina, um, I wanted to make sure that, that, it was, um, that it was safe. And so I take off, and about 30 minutes before dark, I take off and I'm walking out. Everything was fine until I got to the fork in the road that I didn't remember coming in because I wasn't looking because I was thinking, it's light, what could possibly go wrong? And I took one of the areas of, I took one of the side of the fork in the road and uh, I'm left-handed. So I went left because I figured left is right and right is wrong. And so, uh, so, so I, I went left and I kept walking and walking and walking and walking and walking and walking and walking. And I kept, and you know what? After about 30 minutes of walking, it was almost completely pitch dark. I walked by my blind again, the place where I had started. I had walked for 30 minutes and had made absolutely no headway to getting out. By this time, it was dark. And every monster that lives in the woods was coming after me. And I was paralyzed. I was paralyzed in fear. I, I hate admitting this to you. I was paralyzed. 
try, I looked down at my phone, my handy Nokia Razor phone, and uh, I opened it. I had no signal. I had no signal in my beeper. There was no, uh, there was, there was no, there was no, no calling anybody. And I thought, this is it. This is how I die. <laughs> Looking at it, I'm, at the time, I was about 240 pounds, so it's going to be a while before I die of starvation. So I've got plenty to eat off of for a while. Uh, so if something wild does not get me, um, I'm just going to sit in the woods until I die. I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I, thought, I, I, I was resigned to the fact that at that moment I was going to spend the night in the woods. And I thought, well, let's go to the fork. The left fork was wrong. Let's go take the right side of the fork and see what happens. And at this point, every tree looked identical. I didn't know which way I was going. I couldn't find the fork. And thankfully, after, a, after an hour and a half or so of walking in the pitch dark, uh, I saw the headlights of a four-wheeler, and Kenneth came and scooped me up, my knight in shining armor, scooped me up <laughs> and took me back where there was a stake waiting for me at the lodge. I was scared. Praise Jesus. <laughs> Otherwise, that's how close I was to not being your interim pastor. Um, <laughs> You know, in, in that moment when I was lost, I was frightened because I had no concept of what the next hour, hour and a half, six months, a year, 10 years, 25 years down the road would look like. I didn't know, I didn't know what my, my future held, how long that future would last. When I think of the, of the Israelites as they were leaving the bondage of, Israel, bondage of Egypt to make their way towards the promised land that had been offered to them. The unknown must have been daunting. Pre-COVID, uh, George Barna did a study that said that 51% of people struggled with purpose, knowing what to do in life. What was their purpose on this earth? What role did they play in this world as it continues to turn. Do you know that after COVID, and we are mostly after COVID at this point, that number has jumped to 68%. That means two, over two out of three people in this world struggle with their purpose. Maybe they have, maybe COVID taught them that they were not as secure in their job as they thought they were. Maybe the fact of being quarantined all together, and I was quarantined with my entire family for, uh, for, for you know, 12 weeks. Maybe, maybe you figured out that you just didn't like the people you were quarantined with. <laughs> maybe you're struggling in some other capacity, and you just feel lost. Friend, you're not the only one. And, and maybe if you hear nothing else out of this entire sermon series, which is going to go for the next two months, if you hear nothing else, I need you to hear this this morning. You're not doing this life alone. You are not the only one who is struggling with purpose. You are not the only one who feels lost. As a matter of fact, you, if you came in today and you're like, I had a pretty good week. You know, I, this, I don't know if this sermon series is for me. If that's you, congratulations. You are in the minority. More people in this world today feel lost than they ever have. And they think, can anybody identify? Can anybody sympathize with me? Can anybody say, I know how you feel? There's a lot. You're not alone. Your circumstances may be unique to you, but your circumstances are not unique. 
On some level, we all feel that lostness over time. And so as we begin to read together today, we're going to pick up the story about six weeks into the Exodus. They've only, now, mind you, as we read this, I need, I need you to understand, they've only been gone from Egypt for six weeks. And what we're going to find is, and, and, and part of this is, is as we, we read, um, I really feel bad for the Israelites at, at times because the Israelites are, are you know, how would you like if every bad decision you've ever made is chronicled in the best-selling book of all time? But the story of the Old Testament, is this, it is essentially an episode of the Jerry Springer show. Uh, it, is, it is just bad decision after bad decision after bad. And if you think it's not, read Genesis, all right? And we haven't even gotten to the Israelites yet at this point. But what we find is pretty much beginning with the Exodus and, and kind of pretty much to the end of Malachi, you see, you see a group of people that consistently make terrible decisions. A God who continually shows himself faithful and the Israelites who go, yeah, I don't know that he's going to do it again. We're going to pick up the story today about six weeks into the Exodus. Now, mind you what they've seen, all right? They've seen plagues on Pharaoh. Where, where Pharaoh says, you know what, I have, a, I have a, a workforce that I just want to hold on to, so y'all can't go anywhere. Uh, and, and, and finally, after, after nearly a dozen plagues, uh, Pharaoh says, okay, fine, you can go. And so, so Moses leads the people out. They get to the Red Sea, a body of water, right, that Moses commands the seas to part, and God in his sovereignty parts the Red Sea. The Israelites cross on dry ground and they get to the other end. Pharaoh's army is completely uh, just drowned and shattered. They, they're walking and they're going, you know what? You, you know, you know, I, maybe things were better back in, back in Egypt. Maybe we should just go back and say, Pharaoh, I'm super sorry. We'll go back to working on your behalf, right? We have no, no clean water. And they come to this place called Merah where, where, uh, where God uh, takes the bitter water, the poison water, and turns it into the sweet, gushing fountain. And God's people have seen all of these things, how God has shown himself faithful in the unknown. And they just go, yeah, I think it's better where we were. They were afraid of what was ahead of them. They were afraid of what they couldn't see. Today's big idea, as we launch into this new series, is that sometimes everything must be stripped away before we see that when we have the Lord, we have everything we need. Now, friend, I don't know what you walked in with today, but if you walked in with Jesus who has consistently and constantly said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I won't walk away from you. I won't turn my back on you. If you walked in with Jesus today, you have what you need. Let's read. We're going to read um, verses 1 through 18 together today. And then it's a big chunk, and we're not going to just exegete the entire passage together. We're going to use this as our launching point for our new series as we look at what it feels like to be lost, we have to admit that sometimes we get lost. Sometimes we get up in our fields. Sometimes we get so consumed by the circumstances around us that we don't see that God's provision is right there if we will only look for it. And we're going to use this as a reminder. 
says they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the, of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses. You ever go to church and people, people just grumble? Good, I'm glad, I'm glad we don't do that here at Fort Caroline. All right. It says, people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. I'm going to rain bread. The fat guy's like dream. He's having a rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I might test them whether they will walk in my law or not. We're going to get to that in just a minute. He says on the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel at evening, you shall know it, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but it's against the Lord. So Moses is telling them, hey, don't shoot the messenger. When you're complaining, you're not complaining to me. You're complaining to God. Not a good plan. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the, of my, of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God." In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing. A grand's biscuit, if you will. <laughs> fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For, for they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it. Each one of you, as much as he can eat, you shall each take an omer and according to the number of the person that each of you has in his tent. And the, and the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them had gathered as much as he could eat." They had no idea when they left Israel that their journey wouldn't be just a few weeks' time. They had no idea it was going to be 40 years. If they would have known that, they may never have left. If they would have known that, they might not have grumbled. Or they might have grumbled. Regardless, church, sometimes it is in the unknown 
that God speaks to us the most clearly. But his problem is in the unknown. So many times we are so focused on that which we cannot see, but what might be out there, what, what might be waiting to get us around the corner, and we're not as attuned to listen to the still small voice of God as he tries to speak truth and grace and mercy and love and provision into our lives. This this passage speaks to three things, three characteristics about the Lord. That church, if you walked in today and you're lost, if you walked in today and you're struggling with purpose, if you walked in today and struggled to understand why God would allow you to deal in the surroundings that you're dealing with currently, there are three things about the Lord that you need to know today. Number one, the Lord is your guide. He is the guide. Even when you can't see, he can. The thing about the Exodus is this. Could the Israelites have left Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, and gone straight into Israel? Of course they could have. So why did God make them wait 40 years? We're going to find out. But maybe it's upon us, a 21st century people who are trying to look in a, in a, a document that was written thousands of years ago. Maybe it's incumbent upon us for us to realize that the, the real exodus wasn't about getting the Israelites out of Egypt, but of getting Egypt out of the Israelites. Forty years in the desert and a generation gone before God's people were ready to embrace the new normal of Israel. Church, you are, you are walking in an exodus right now. It's a time of uncertainty. It's a time that you just don't know what's around the next corner. For years, you had the certainty of seeing the same person up on the stage most every Sunday. And you're wondering, how is it ever going to be the same? Can, can I be honest with you today? It's not. And someone has to love you enough to speak truth into your life. It won't be the same as it was. The normal you knew is gone. But church, there's a new normal that God wants to show to you. And if you walked in and feel, and feel lost, there is a new normal waiting for you. It is in front of you. There are two words that, that, uh, that the Old Testament uses for grumbling. We see both at various points during the story. Um, one is the Greek or is the Hebrew word lun, L-U-N, uh, which literally means um, a growling. Sometimes we do this in church. Sometimes we don't like... If we don't like the music or if we don't like a particular program or if we don't like that we killed a particular program that was on life support, but it was your program and you really liked it, but it wasn't really having much of an effect outside of a small group. And so we made the, we made the, the choice to, to, to redirect our resources elsewhere, but it was your program. And so you're, you kind of get mad and you stomp into the pastor's office. How dare you? Growling. There's another kind of word, and the word is, is Reagan, not Reagan, Reagan, which means a whispered rebellion. We do this in church life too. This is when you walk around the corner, and there's a lot of square corners in this place, like a lot of rectangles. And you round the corner, there's a couple people that are talking right there, and when they look, they look at you, they quit talking. It's a whispered rebellion. You're not going to get out. You're not going to be overt. You're not going to go, and, and, and you're, you're not going to create this, 
this rebellion against the church leadership or against, you know, against, you know, your life group leader or whomever. But you will talk about it in the shadows in between services. You don't like the direction of the church. You don't like where we're headed. And so you're going to see just how many people you have on your side. You see both in God's people today. Just like you saw it both in the people of Israel. Things may change. The clothes may change. The technology may change. But the people never do. The grumbling that we see in this passage is not one of circumstances. Well, how do we know? They grumbled because they were in slavery in Egypt. They grumbled when God emancipated them. They were walking through the desert. Let's listen to the rest of the Old Testament. They grumbled there too. It's why you have the minor prophets. Because the minor prophets are saying, you got to quit this or God is going to rain judgment down upon you. It doesn't matter. The circumstances would change, but the people did not. They grumbled at Merah when the, when the Lord healed the bitter water. They grumbled because the food wasn't on par with the desert they had. Maybe we could go back to the meat pots around the fire. The scraps that we would get from the Egyptians. That was better than what we're doing here. And God says, let me show you how big your God is. Church, when God wants to do something outside of our comfort zones, we, we have two options. One, we can embrace the unknown. We can follow his lead, knowing that his sovereign will is going to be done. Or we can grumble. The problem with grumbling is this. Whether it's growling or whether it is a whispered rebellion, grumbling always means that we're dissatisfied with the leader. Grumbling is saying, I might be able to do it better, or I might know somebody that can do it better. And church, what we have to understand in a Romans 13 world, right, whether we're talking about the president of the United States, the mayor of the town we live in, or the pastor that God has chosen to lead this church, regardless, understanding that, a, that trusting and believing and serving a sovereign God means this, and this is what Romans 13 is all about. It is about obeying leaders that you may not agree with, but understanding that a sovereign God allowed them to be in, in power or in authority for this particular season. And whether you agree with it or not, it is not them who were elected. It is God that allowed them to be in that place for that time. Grumbling means that you're just not satisfied with the leader. And church, there are, some, are there not sometimes, let's just drop the airs and be real honest, are there not sometimes that we raise our hand to God and say, I don't agree with the way you're doing this? I do. It's sin. But we always think that we can do it better. The Lord is the one that guides, he directs our paths. If we truly believe that he is God, how could we ever grumble? In Numbers chapter 14, the people of God were begging to go back to Egypt. They were complaining about where they were, they were complaining about the circumstances they were in. They would rather live in slavery that was known than live in the freedom that they didn't know. Numbers chapter 14, verses 11 and 12. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? Can you imagine God saying that about us? How long will these people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, 
I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Church, there are consequences to grumbling. The consequences for God's people was that an entire generation would pass. The generation that remembered the slavery of old, where Egypt would never completely leave them, would not be allowed to inherit the land. Church, God is going to pour his life and his heart and his soul and his providence into a people that will trust and obey. If we're ever going to get found, which is the opposite of lost, we must remember that the Lord is our God. When the Lord is our God, sometimes he'll lead us places we don't necessarily want to go. But here's what I know about the God. You hire a God because you know he knows the terrain. He knows where we're going. And he knows how to keep us safe. When we trust in Christ, we are trusting an unknown future to a known God. The Lord is our guide. He's also our provider. He's not only going to lead us in the path that we're to go. He is going to be the one who is going to provide for us along the way. And so part of God being our provider is that he always has our best interests at heart. You don't ever have to worry if God has an ulterior motive. You don't ever have to wonder, is God doing this because he gets something out of it? You know what he gets out of it? You. He is infatuated with you. He has a passion for you. He always wants our best interest. Look at how he responds to the the Israelites grumbling. Notice what the Israelites never did. They never asked the Lord to step in. They're complaining about their circumstances. They never said, God, can you fix this? God, can you help us? God, is there something that you can do? God, we followed you. We trust you. Can you make this all right? And church, when we get into this, into this mindset that we don't trust the guide, we have an underlying feeling that the guide can't fix it. But look at what God does over and over and over again. Look at what he says in verse 4. He says, Behold, I am about to rain bread. I'm not going to offer you bread. I'm not going to offer you grain for you to make bread. He says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you bread in the morning. I'm going to give you quail in the evening. You will never want for anything. There's no rations. There's no stocking up. As a matter of fact, God said, don't stock up. He said, take take as much as you need until you are full. And leave the rest. Why would he say that? Because when we stockpile and when we hoard, we believe that God's not going to take care of us going forward. That he did us a solid this one time, but he won't take care of us going forward. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 14 
Abraham and Isaac have walked up Mount Moriah and they're going to get to the top and God is going to ask Abraham to sacrifice his only, his only son Isaac. The very thing that he and Sarah prayed for. And as he puts him down on the altar, you got to understand how Isaac was. Isaac's looking at his dad going, all right, well, I know what this is. This is a, you know, we built the threshing floor. We built the altar. But, but where is the, where's the animal for sacrifice? And in Abraham's mind, how do I tell my son that he's the sacrifice? And just like that, God provides a ram in the thicket for the offering. This is what Abraham says. Look at Genesis chapter 22 and verse 14. It says, So Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. We see a picture of that later. This same picture of Abraham and Isaac, we see as God offers his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God has provided for you and for me everything we need to get out of our lostness and move into his provision. God will always be the one to provide from the moment of salvation to the moment that we see Jesus face to face. God is the one who will take care of us. Which shows us Exodus chapter 16 and verse 8. Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full. God doesn't just simply provide us rations to keep our bellies content. He provides out of his riches, out of the cattle on a thousand hills. He gives us everything we need to fullness. Right? Jesus would say this in John chapter 10 and verse 10. He would say, the thief, Satan, comes to steal and to kill and destroy. He says, but I have come that they may have life and might have it to the full or more abundantly. Verse 18 of Exodus 16. He says, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. That's the beauty of God's provision. It's always enough. There's always plenty. And his command to us is to be faithful, to gather it. When he, when he tells us to go into the unknown, that he will provide for us when we get there. And when we get there, we take from his provision. He provide, but church, we must get to the place to where we trust that if we take that step of faith into the unknown, that he will provide for us there. He's our guide, but he's also our provider. But he's also our sustainer. Look at verse 10. It said, as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared on the cloud. Church, when we try to fix our lives on our own, when, when we try to provide for ourselves, we deprive ourselves from experiencing the glory of God. If we could do it on our own, why do we need God? 
And the, the problem is the self-help section of, of Barnes and Noble is 10 times bigger than, than the, the Jesus section. You want to know why? Because a lost world wants you to believe that you can fix your problems on your own. Can I tell you something lovingly today? You can't. You know how I know? Because I have spent too much time, too much effort, too much energy, and too much money trying to fix my life on my own. I had to come to the place to realize I can't do it by myself. And I had to turn it over to the Lord who says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest for your soul. Not only does God provide for you, he sustains you. I love that Craig quoted it the night of prayer on Thursday night. Allie and I couldn't be here. It was monsooning in Green Cove. And I was not about to cross the Buckman in that. I want to see Jesus, just not Thursday. (laughs) But I love that he quoted Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, where Paul says, Now to him who is able to do abundantly far more than we could ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. Church, we've got to understand that the Lord can do more than we could think or even ask. Jesus would wind up saying in John chapter 6, he would say, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And the people said, sir, give us that bread always. And Jesus said, I am the, breath, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Friend, Jesus is our bread of life. He's not only our Savior, but He is our sustainer. He's the one in the weakness, in the tired. He's the one that props us up. He is the one that sustains us. He is the one that loves us. Church, the bondage of Egypt, you may be in that brokenness. You may be in that unknown. You may be thinking, maybe it'd be easier to go back to my former life. Let me tell you something. Satan makes the bondage of Egypt look tempting. Better the devil you do know than the devil you don't. But Jesus says sometimes you've got to take that step into the unknown, trusting that when you get there, I'm already there. Let me tell you what Satan's good at, church. He's good at smoking mirrors. Egypt is meant to keep you enslaved, working to keep you lost, working to keep you separated from the full fellowship that comes with Christ. If that's you today, let go of that. Come home to Jesus. Walk in full fellowship with him. Repent of your sin. Trust in the unknown. Don't grumble. Be an encouragement to your pastors. Be an encouragement to your life group leaders. Be an encouragement to the lost that are around you that they might see your good works, that they might glorify your Father who is in heaven, that they might trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. The next several weeks, we're going to look at how to get found when you're lost. Friend, I don't... 
I don't beg often. Often, I don't do it well. You can ask Allie. You know somebody. If it's not you, if, you're not, if you came in today and you're not lost, you know someone who is. Someone may be lost physically. Someone may be lost spiritually. Someone may be lost emotionally. It may be a believer who has just walked away from the fellowship of God. Look around, church. There aren't many seats available, but there are seats that are available. And I promise you, if we fill up this place uh, in two services, we'll start a third service. Let's do it. You know someone that needs to be encouraged by the counsel of God's word. Church, let's be the church. Let's invite someone that they might come and find new life in Christ. Let's be passionately about making disciples that the 179,000 and their kids and their parents might know the gospel of Jesus and respond in faith. Let's be the church today. Father, we love you and we honor you as we, as we leave, as we go to life groups. Father, may we go knowing that your grace is sufficient for us. God, I pray for those who need to hear of your mercy and of your grace today. Father, I pray for those that are not here today. Someone that, that was tempted to come and, and just said, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to watch online today. God, I pray that they got something out of it. But God, I pray that you would encourage them that if they can be here physically, God, that they would get here. Not because we want to see a room that's full, but God, we want to see a room that's full because we know that when people are hearing the gospel, that you're doing work and lives are being changed. Father, may you do a great work at Fort Caroline Baptist Church and beyond for your glory and for our good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you leave today, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, in the back, Pastor Matt standing there at the Next Steps area. Go talk to him. Come see me. If you, if you want to figure out how to be a member at Fort Caroline and join what God's doing, go see Matt. We want to plug you in one way or the other. We want to plug you in and, and as, as you get ready to go today. God bless. Have a wonderful day.